If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Our guest today is Michelle Despax. Michelle's got an interesting background. She teaches the Alexander Technique while she's interacting with riders and coaches. Her background's in dressage, show jumping and eventing, and she's specialising in dressage. She's an FEI rider, trainer and coach. How are you today, Michelle? Very well, thank you, Glenis. Good to talk to you, Michelle. I'm very interested as we get into it to talk to you some more about the Alexander Technique, but can we start off with a favourite quote for now? Yes, yeah, we can, yep. Yep. I've got a couple um, that I might spice through the uh, interview, but sure. the first one was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, which is uh, Susan Jeffries had a book published in 1987, and uh, I don't know that I actually read that in 87, but I read it certainly in the 90s, and it changed my relationship with fear, I think, and mm-hmm. with self-doubt. So there are many times in life when you doubt yourself, and that can be actually a really strong motivator to improve your life and or your work or change something completely. So it can be very motivating. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone that's, you know, ridden at any degree has never felt a little bit of fear, you know, a little bit of fear as in riding that horse, riding in that situation, even riding in a competition. You know, what if I do it badly? What if it's there's always, and I think if we do it anyway, we push through our boundaries a bit, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you yeah. learn to embrace that and you learn to work with it. It's not a matter of dampening it down or because fear is very uh, valid, a very uh, a valuable tool because it mm. keeps you sharp oh, um, and it keeps you, yeah, it keeps you. And if you stay present, which is all the other concepts that are critical when you're riding and working with horses, you need to be very grounded and stay very present and manage fear and you just keep working through it. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. Totally agree. I think um, very interesting to expand this conversation, but maybe another day. We've got heaps of questions for you. So yep, I'll sure. Keep going. Yep. <laughs> okay. Michelle, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions here. So the first one is how you start with horses and what your first memories are, but then I'm going to go on and ask you how you started with the Alexander Technique and what the reasons were. So we'll start off with your first memories of riding first. Look, I was really lucky that my parents totally supported my passion with horses from a very small child. And we lived in Brunswick, inner Melbourne. And so I only saw ponies when they were in the park and I could pat them. Or, But they did find a riding school in Elphington in Melbourne and they took me riding there and you could trot up and down the roads and it was really just a riding school. And from that, they then bought me a pony and I was able to keep it at Lower Plenty Pony Club which was a club where you could adjust your pony there. And so that started my whole riding career. I was about five or six, one of the youngest kids at Pony Club. And I just, all I did was ride. I was never off the pony. I just, <laughs> I just rode the legs off everything. And so that was probably the beginning of uh, 
just being in the right environment. I was very mm-hmm. lucky because mm-hmm. I was with knowledgeable people who cared about me and taught me correctly because they just jumped all over you if you did the wrong thing. And, and you just you followed their example. They were good people. So I learned all the basic skills that perhaps are missing from riding today on some level. And the rest is history, really. I just, I'm still involved in Pony Club now, mm-hmm. all these years later. So... <laughs> Mm. Now, what about the Alexander technique? Because you you didn't I, yeah. know that as a five year old, but no, um, no, yeah, I didn't. Tell me how how you've started with that. I was a performance rider. Yeah, I competed all through Pony Club and mm-hmm. state championships, and I started teaching and so on. And so I, I guess if there's a whole career before becoming an Alexander technique teacher, mm-hmm. um, I was already. Well, tell us 20. a bit about that because that's important because. It sort of takes you through that journey and then on yes. to becoming a coach too and, and being a professional and an FEI rider. And So tell us an outline of that as well. Yeah, yeah, because that really, becoming an AT teacher was really as a result of my own pain levels and trying to manage continuing as a professional rider and competed and, uh, oh, you just have to recover from injuries so often and mentally as well as physically. So, so backtracking with the riding as a child, I was really in that environment where I was uh, promoted good learning and, and I was safe. And so I became very competent and rode everything. And then people asked me to ride their horses and I was eventing and showing. And I did everything. It was one of those. It was back in the day when you could just be a really good general rider. And then in my tw- I was 20 or 19 or so and I bought six ponies. I was at university and I decided uni was okay and I was studying to become a teacher, no doubt. But I really didn't want to teach in the classroom so I bought six ponies and I opened my riding school and I was inundated from the very beginning and you know I had a very good business you know running programs educational programs for children and holiday camps and I mean the whole the whole shebang it was a massively busy time Mm -hmm. and then concurrently I was three-day venting and then in my 30s I specialized into dressage and that was when I trained the horses to FEI and competed and then became a level two coach and so on. So that's sort of the background of that seem, sounds seamless, and I guess it was. It's really uninterrupted riding across all disciplines and riding all different breeds of horses mm-hmm. and all different mm-hmm. sizes, you know, ponies. And, and then obviously warm bloods became the big thing in the 90s. You know, Gert Donvig imported the first warm bloods and... And the rest is history, you know, we're out there now, I'm coaching the Young Rider Squad and they're all sitting on warm bloods that are trained to FEI and they're 15, you know, the, mm-hmm. the kids are 15 and 16. I mean, you know. <laughs> but having the confidence, you know, like you said, your first yeah. pony and you rode the legs off it and you start to yeah. ride different horses and ponies. Yes. I think sometimes that's just invaluable, you know, to just be oh. able to get on horses that you're Absolutely. not overmounted on because I think there yeah. is a real risk of overmounting people on Flash mm. horses that mm. that are a bit hot, you know, that they can I had get that, hot. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I had no pressure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was the other thing too. It was a different, you know, at the risk of sounding like a really old person. Um, it's just that, you know, it's it's a very different world. The industry is entirely different. And I was lucky enough, and I still promote that. That's why I'm still involved in Pony Club because essentially, I believe in that ethos where. You let kids develop, you let them be creative with their own pony, you let them have fun. That's critical because in that, in that fun is so much learning and then you attach yourself to people that are passionate and good horse people and then you follow their example. And so when I, you know, the template for the riding school was easy because I just, 
I just never really grew up. I just stayed that child. And, and I mean, you know, after doing all the FEI stuff, I've turned around and I've, the last few years I've been competing a, a pony. So talk about revisiting my eight-year-old inner child, you know. And uh, actually, Heath Ryan was, last time I met him, he was standing next to me and you know, with the microphone and I'm standing, sitting on my pony, he's like 13 too, and he's six foot whatever. So we were about the same height. And... Um, interviewing me so um, on that pony so I've gone full circle which is which is quite nice <laughs> mm, mm, mm. which is it's, quite nice, it's nice I hope I've that... answered that question yeah yeah well I think just the variety in the horse world you know you're, like you're in the yeah. horse world you're not in one particular bit there's, no. there's such a big no. variety even within the riding and teaching and coaching yes. you can do it at all sorts of levels and ride professionally at all sorts of levels well yeah. And that's how you understand. That's how I seem to have the breadth and the depth um, of knowledge without necessarily having technical, you know, having had lessons every day, every day, whatever. Mm-hmm. I actually had a highly intuitive... I mean, it was learned, obviously. I wasn't born with that knowledge, but it just developed a lot more intuitively and a lot more creatively. If something didn't work, you know, you had to find another way or... And you always had to be kind to your pony, you know, like mm. that came easily to me. Uh, that's part of my nature and for that I'm very glad. And even as a competitive rider, I made choices about the people I trained with based on the way they rode and the way they interacted with their own horse. For me, it was not a competition at all costs. And as a trainer and a coach that's and a rider and a human being, you know, that's reflected in the way I work with people and animals like my whole life. Yep, yep. For someone who is going to work with animals, work with horses and be in the horse career, what do you think the core skills or character traits are for them? If they're going to work in the industry, they need to have a sound knowledge base. They need to be, they need to have a skill, a skill set. So if they're going to ride, they need to be able to ride. You know, if they want to be a rider, you have to have the, the skill set. Now, that involves being incredibly disciplined to learn your craft, to be an independent you know, have an independent seat. So to have the skill, then after that you need to be rigorous in your own application to excellence in your own personal life. You need to have an excellent work ethic. You need to situate yourself with people who have integrity so that you continue to operate around people who are respectful of horses. You need to be very strong, like robust physically. You need to be fit. You need to... Gee, I'm giving you a lot of things, aren't I? But is that is that sort of I helping? think that is gives, that... and it's for the listeners, you know, for people that want to get into the horse industry, that mm. it's not a fairy tale. It really is a job. Oh, no. It really is a career. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, it's not romantic. It's really hard work. Mm. You often are working long hours after if clients, you know, if you're working at a riding school, you're doing as much work prior to a client coming to when you actually, if you're lucky enough to then be the one who, has to go and get changed and then stand in the arena and you clean jodhpurs and, and actually teach the lesson. And then afterwards, unless you can pass the pony to some strapper or other, other minion in the stable block, you know, it'll be you that actually untaxes the pony and puts it away. And it might be you the next day that is actually retraining the pony or, the, you know, the horse, obviously, mm, not just mm. the pony, but the, the horse and fixing up, you know, whatever the client has done the day before. I mean, you know, riding schools or working in yards is really, really hard work. It's often working alone. You're unsupervised, so you need to have enormous initiative. You need to not be lazy and you need not to be supervised in order to work. Mm -hmm. So there are really 
core personality traits, and that's without even being a competition rider. You know, that's just working in the industry. Now, if yep. you want to be a competition rider, oh goodness, you need then to treble treble your skill level. Like you need to be impressive, and you need to be very grounded and present, and have all the points on the board. And then people ask you to ride their horses, mm-hmm. and or they ask you to teach them, or they say. They see you riding a horse and they say, did you break, you know, if you broke it in, you say yes. And they say, I want you to do that horse for me. And that's how, that's how I got all my work in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm not breaking in or doing that sort of work now, but I have also done that work too. I'm still, I'm actually breaking my pony. So, because I can, you know, Mm -hmm. because, because he's a great pony and I, and I can. So it's really about learning. Learning, learning, learning. Yep. Say yes. Put your hand up all the time and say yes, yes, yes. And let the horses also teach you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'll learn from horses. Does that? That's a, I've given you a massive. Um, I think it's given us a really good idea. And the next question is, what's the best thing about working in the horse industry? Oh goodness, so many things. So rewarding. So enriching. Such hard work. However. It doesn't feel like it at the time. I mean, I only say that now because I look back and, and because I'm a little bit older, I get I get more tired now than I did, you know, obviously in my 20s or 30s. And the ability to work with horses is a gift and for horses to respond to you. And that interaction, irrespective of whether you teach a lesson or whether you compete or just to be connected on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment with horses, oh, I mean, they're my co-workers. They're my staff. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're my. Uh, obviously, I have a boss. I have client. Every client's sure. my boss because sure. I'm only as good as my last ride or my win or my last horse that I produced or my last lesson. Um, the industry's fickle, so you know people become flavour of the month. You have to put your ego outside the arena and just continue to do the right thing mm-hmm. by the horse. You mm-hmm. have to follow due process. You have to. Am I making sense? You have to mm, follow classical mm. training principles. You know, it's not a long-term career mm. in the industry is a gift. And if horses yeah. continue to come up to you in the paddock every day and want to be around you, mm. oh, that's proof that you're mm. doing something right. Yeah, it's it's wonderful being paid for something that other people have to pay to do. Well, I run clinics now and have done for many, many years on teaching people to become grounded and to... Um, so all that play with horses and groundwork and so mm, on, mm. that's become a bigger component of my um, educational interaction with people because increasingly people are not necessarily going to compete. They want a companion or their horse is their companion. So in one direction, obviously, we are highly competitive and I'm an elite coach, rah, rah, rah. But on the other side, I'm essentially working with people and I've travelled into a therapeutic field, working with people who have got mental health issues or are needing to be grounded and around horses because of their own personal histories. So I've travelled, you know, a really big path in my education of horses and rider. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking because you, you know you're quite successful within the industry. What do you think you've got as a regular habit that makes you successful? So it's something that you find that you're doing again and again, and it's that over a long period of time that's contributed to making you successful. Me or making other people successful? Making you successful. Okay, because they are quite two different things, Mm. and you need to be able to do both Mm. because sometimes in the process of making other people successful, you neglect your own or you might compromise your own 
dare I say, integrity even, uh, which is a terrible thing. But sometimes success, people chase success or notoriety at the expense of the genuine love of the horse. So that's a whole other training sort of philosophy. However, within myself, I think absolute faith and conviction that what I do with horses is right, that it works. I'm not saying that my way is the only way, I didn't mean that. I'm a classical rider, so I'm not reinventing the wheel. I just ride well every day, every time I ride. Mm-hmm. I follow the, you know, ride the horse forward and straight on your line. You know, I follow classical principles mm-hmm. and I'm humble, as in I really value my interaction with the horses. So, yeah. Now, you talked about the people, you know, going back to Pony Club, you said you're around yeah. a lot of knowledgeable people. And, yeah. you know, to have the career that you've had, you've obviously had some help along the way and people that mm. you've learned from. Who do you mm. think's influenced you and helped you in your career? Yeah. Look, a couple of people have been instrumental. Like From when I was really little, as I said, that environment that allowed me to be creative but kept me correct was critical. And then after that, We weren't very wealthy, so I didn't have lessons every week like lots of other kids did, and I had a lesson once a a month, I should say, which was massive, and that was with Jack Matthews, who was attached at the time to Victoria Police. So uh, it was quite military-like. Our early um, riding, uh, classical riding here in Australia was quite military. Franz Moringa is another notable person. After that, Malcolm Barnes. When I was riding FEI, Malcolm Barnes, who would be in his 80s now and, uh, you know, a very well-known Australian rider, um, he was marvellous, very correct and courteous, always very courteous and classically trained. Um, Manolo Mendez has been instrumental for his anatomical knowledge, among other things, but that's what uh, he really brought home to me the yeah just the, the anatomy of the horse and how critical that is because my background is not medical you know I don't have mm-hmm. I'm academic but it's education I'm not I have no medical background so and that has drawn me into areas of equine physio and had given me a much bigger understanding anatomically of the biomechanics of movement so because I'm an intuitive rider and I ride with feel I've been blessed with that sort of natural feel, you know, mm-hmm. which is critical mm-hmm. uh, critical as a rider. You know, you can learn it, but I actually was one of my strongest natural talents, if you want to say that. And obviously you have to still work hard and develop technique. I know mm-hmm. all that. But mm-hmm. people like Manolo is a lot more intuitive as a rider. Malcolm Barnes I found very classical and technical. And so different people at different times when I was obviously seeking an input but I didn't actually go week in, week out and train with anybody, even when I was riding FEI. I, uh, Glenn Fryer also, I had some very good lessons with Glenn Fryer, who is a well-known Australian rider um, and trainer. So, But it was nothing where it was the person you know, mentoring me, holding my hand, doing... <laughs> I was not as dependent on coaches as some of my students are on me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The industry's shifted a great deal. And now there are very good coaches everywhere, whereas when I was growing up, there was not really a career in coaching, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. The industry mm-hmm. didn't exist in the way it does now. No, and, no And I've been lucky to be buoyed along from the infancy to how it is now and still being involved with young riders on the inter-school squads and instrumental in oh, years ago in putting in programs, you know, the vet vocational educational mm. training mm. programs in schools in the 90s. I was instrumental in putting that in place. Oh, all sorts of programs that I just, 
it was consultancy, really. It was consultancy work without being paid, you know, without mm-hmm. without actually uh, the gig. It wasn't a professional gig. You just People just picked your brains and you were just available. So that other thing about staying open, you asked about a core value or... Yeah, or something that yeah. is about being staying very generous mm-hmm. um, and I think most good professional people are incredibly especially educationalists I think mm. where you want to make a difference and you actually have always believed in personal development before it became a trendy thing to say or do mm. and you were mm. a life coach before there was even the word life coach because mm. you were always mentoring somebody because you didn't know you were you just <laughs> that's what you by do virtue mm. of yeah, exactly, by virtue of exactly. just doing what you do with passion. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just other people look at you and they're totally inspired and, and they may say something and you look at them and you laugh because you just don't see yourself. You're too busy doing. You, yeah, you're not sta- doing it to inspire back. others. You're just doing it. Yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. You're just doing yeah. it because do, it's, it's what you do. Mm. And I feel very blessed that I've been able to be like that. That's why my career has taken so many turns and, and I've not just been, you know, say training FEI horses from the 90s or mm, then mm. or whatever, you know, which would be a wonderful career choice, you know, that it just didn't happen like that for me and I followed it like a rabbit down, you know, a bit Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> you know, a bit down the hole and yeah, I just yeah. continued. Yeah, so I hope that that can perhaps inspire somebody <laughs> that's not sure, you know, sure. If, if they want a career in horses. you just got to be, you, you don't know sometimes. Mm. I just knew because every time I went to leave the horses, I always came back. Yep. That for me, yep. it wasn't that I wanted a career in horses. I just never stepped away from them mm. long enough for anything else to make enough impact for me to follow it. Mm. Mm. What about horses themselves? Have you got horses who've influenced you and helped you in your career? Oh, gosh. Oh, so many. <laughs> because I have ridden so many and trained so many horses for other clients and and also because when you're teaching or you go to pony club, you see mm. another 20 horses that day and and, so, <laughs> and you see some darling horses all the time just doing a stellar job carving What, what about one horse? Or, who, who was your first FEI horse? Gee, was, uh, well, Bulladella, who was a sacked eventer, one of my students, <laughs> um, he just he just stopped jumping. So, But he could move and he was a, oh, a warm blood type. He, he wasn't warm blood, but he was very typey. And had good movement. So I started with him and trained him right through. And in a couple of years, we were riding advanced. And then, and that was with Malcolm Barnes. So that, and then later on, um, he, FEI, Bruce and George. And so I had a couple of horses after that. I had Bodicea and there were a number of other horses that I trained, which was great. There've been a couple of horses that I've worked with clients and they were their own personal horses, extremely difficult horses where if you had have been more and more and more physical with them, you know, increasingly domineering, um, if you had have taken that training process with them, it would have ended in disaster. The horses would have imploded basically or hurt mm-hmm. someone. And mm-hmm. that actually taught me as a younger person in my 30s that it had very little to do with strength. Mm. That was the beginning of understanding that I had to think smarter, not yep. ride harder. Yep. And yep. that sort of psychologically, that was profound because, you know, you do, there is quite a lot of strength obviously involved in being, but that's the other thing. You have to be fit and you have to keep your weight down. As in, you, have, you know, you have to be able to move mm-hmm. if you want to be serious with horses. So I learned then the, the value of that, of not trying to persuade something or force, obviously. And when I say persuade, it's code for force. A horse, you know, 500 kilos or 
because I'm still only 50-odd kilos now, you know, <laughs> so that's not going to work. And also it made me feel sick at heart if I was around people or if I chose a path or if I was directed, you know, in training mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. people, you know, sometimes you need to get the job done. Um, I'm quite familiar with that. You need to be clear and horses need to respect you. But there are ways and ways of doing that. And you have to be very careful not to undermine the enormous trust that horses put in you all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's a very strong duty of care for the rider, if you're a coach, and obviously for the horse. And so it is not a result at all costs. So I learned some really critical life lessons that I then was able to transform into my own philosophy and into my working daily practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So famous horses, I hope I answered that. Um, <laughs> my current pony, my current you know, whiz-bang little pony who's really doing some great elementary medium work um, just for the pure pleasure of it. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, and I give him to kids to ride to pony club if they want or I mean, really, he's a, just a, an outstanding little chap, you know. So This is the one you're teaching to go to harness. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. He's currently at a holiday camp with a colleague. Um, she needed an extra pony, so mm. I just said, yep, okay. You know, obviously I trust her and she's she has enormous professional integrity. You know, mm. I don't mm. just willy-nilly loan my pony because he's my family, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's very important. I, I do understand horses need to live in a herd so he goes off there it's like holiday camp for him he Mm -hmm. goes and lives in a herd and just hangs out with kids and and gets groomed and and you know kids pop around on him and jump and and then he can come home and be the serious whatever i want from him he can he's adaptable would be fair to say yep yep so (laughs) what do you think your proudest moment's been um i have lots of proud moments Mm. When my clients do well, I'm thrilled for them, like a bit like a parent, you know, can puff out your chest and you get really thrilled for their achievements because it's their journey, um, but you've contributed to that. Proudest moments would be some really good performances when I was competing FEI, um, like to get, you know, 60% or whatever it was at the time or 65% and was a big deal because there's a lot of training involved for seemingly little reward, you know. Um Riding at the Masters Games a couple of years ago, I my pony was in really good company, the only pony in the field, and we got three gold medals and silver and like got 70% and plus. So from a performance point of view, I was tickle pink and I was astounded, uh, would be fair to say, because, you know, he's only a pony, so he had to work probably a little bit harder to... <laughs> <laughs> to shine in mm-hmm. um, next to the big warm bloods, but he did. So, yeah. Well, with, with those proudest moments, you know, I'm sure you would have had challenges. What do you think your biggest challenge has been? Um, to stay self-motivated. You know, it's a tough industry and even when, you know, a rider goes well or you've been involved with a rider for a period of time, you know that that person or that rider or horse might benefit from moving away from you, you know, like mm. uh, training with somebody else or you need to be big enough to... Um, magnanimous enough and to understand that that takes a bit of maturity a bit of wisdom and not take it necessarily personally you know um also you need to know your limitations i'm speaking about young coaches that Mm. may or may not even become level one coaches but don't punch above your weight you know don't try and teach something that you you can't do you know what i mean don't that's just daft but it happens a great deal Mm. uh, actually um that's exactly why why we have this pyramid system of level three level two and level one coaches and 
you have to have ridden well back in the day. The well, you should you should be, and and people if they're looking yes. for a coach, they should go yes. right. Well, who's already been there, done that, that I can go that's to? Right. That's going to help guide me along the way. Yeah. That's exactly and, right. And be able so to move on. You know, get to a certain level and think, great, this coach has got me there, but that's as far as they've gone. And who would they recommend that I go to? Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah. and so as a coach, you have to. That's the other thing about that integrity thing, and enough faith in yourself that there's plenty of work out there. If you're any good, you will work as a coach. If not, you'll have to have another job as well. Yeah, you keep getting better and better, so you're always better than your clients. Well, that's the other thing too. One would <laughs> yeah, hope you, yeah. you can ride better at a higher level than your clients, but mm. you know. So the biggest challenge being self-motivated because you do lose clients. People do change coaches, and you do. Even if someone's winning, sometimes they actually it's actually really, really challenging. People are winning with you. Not that, well, winning is important. Well, well it is because they come to you and they say, I want to improve your performance. So if mm. you do duly go and over a period of weeks or months or whatever they do, and then they stop riding with you because they think they've learned enough, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> which is great because they have up to their point. But... I'd like really taking, once I've honed their basic skill set, you know, like um, adhered to the classical principles, you know, forward and straight on your line in a rhythm, you know, you want to then take those basics and you want to carry that person through. And mm-hmm. sometimes they, you know, they're not that ambitious or they just want to ride for pleasure. Or So sometimes <laughs> it can be a little bit, you know, on that level, a bit frustrating. So you mm-hmm. have to just let go. You have to be able to go, you know, that's what the client wants. Or, or when a client... Um, you know, sells a horse that you really like, or mm. or when a client's horse dies, you know that's really sad. I've, yes, I've lost my own horses. You know, I've had colic, uh, as in my horse. I had a super horse, but probably one of my best horses in the breeding, a mare I bred, and she had colic and she died and left me with a three-month orphan foal. And mm. so those challenges. A couple of years ago, I um I actually broke my neck, which sounds very dramatic, and it was. I broke three vertebrae and. I was immobilized for oh, three or four months and it was very frightening. And I just, one foot after the other, uh, literally, uh, in, mm-hmm. in recovery and, and I recovered and I was able to teach again and, and move and stand and then ride and and I'm now able to ride again every day if mm-hmm. I choose. So mm-hmm. that was a really big challenge because it threatened my whole work, obviously, my but my life. It, that really because I'd never been hurt that bad before, but accidents happen, so, you know. And that's how you overcame it then, just being motivated to just keep taking one step and another step and another step? Absolutely. Well, there's only one way, and that's Mm. forward. You know, you don't, you know, I mean, without sounding trite, as long as you draw breath, you've only got one way to go, and that's get up and get going. So that's probably why I don't ride. I've chosen now not to ride youngsters or break any youngsters in or, because I don't need to be doing it. I've mentored enough coaches and produced enough riders and I'm surrounded by enough good young people mm. that I can handball something tricky. You know, yep. I don't, yep. I've got other skills and mm. I have done actually for a really long time. Mm. I've got many other skills that I can be employing without putting myself at unnecessary risk. And that was a very big thing to accept because I actually love riding and working with tricky horses and I'm very uh, not dangerous ones. That's different again. I just mm-hmm. mean horses that need a little more time, and and so I I really like that. Yes. Because it's very satisfying. But I recognise now that I'm not bulletproof, actually. So so that was a that was probably my most recent large challenge. Mm-hmm. 
but you know, here I've bobbed up as you do, and so you need a lot of resilience in life, mm-hmm. mental and emotional resilience, and you need to have faith that it will all work out somehow in the end. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, I, I want to talk to you about the Alexander Technique because you, I, I was going to ask you, you know, just about how you came across the technique and how you think it can help influence horses and riders um, and improve that combination, the horse-rider combination, and what you do within your teaching and training. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yep, yeah, I've been talking lots about that. You might need to <laughs> interrupt me and then redirect me because well, we there's can, a lot we can of questions. Get you, in, we can get you back for something a little yeah. bit more in-depth, but I think just if you yeah. can briefly go over it for now and then yep. we can probably get you back another time and go into it a lot more. Yes. That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be that'd be terrific because it mm. is a yeah, it's a, a wonderful technique. It's a learned skill and as an educator and a teacher of the technique I run workshops and clinics to teach the technique and once you've learned it, like you own that skill. So it's it's portable. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you take it with you. It's part of your life. So it is a life skill. A, a horse rider, I've taken the technique, which is a standalone technique and I teach it to people from all walks of life but because I'm a rider I guess I've specialised in equestrian activity and it makes a profound difference to the way a person sits, moves, walks, even talks and even thought processes and so it has a a massive psychological and physiological effect on the individual over time which has naturally a profound effect on the horse because we're sitting on it leading it or working with it in hand so those skills of self-management you know breathing posture mental acuity uh, spatial proprioception all of those things that uh, we have in spade loads perhaps as a younger person as we age or as we have injury or as we become more fearful in life or uh, we lose some of that capacity to respond to life and we we find we're not we're not moving as well you know people have injury So I work with people in a very interesting, unique and individual way for each individual. So how's it improved yourself? You know, what did you, what was your story? Because you came across it and it's prolonged your riding life. Oh, it has. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, Richard Weiss uh, was very well known for promoting the technique some years ago. And my interest was piqued and my curiosity really, and uh, pain is a very strong motivator. So in my late 30s, I was quite sore, which does happen as riders, not just because you've banged up, but because just the daily wear and tear of riding three or four or five horses a day or cleaning stables and teaching and, and, and. You know, your body, your mind can only be so strong. Your body does start to break down, and that's without any injury. That's just your daily work schedule, Mm -hmm. uh, let alone, you know, running a farm or doing housework or having children or all the other things you might do as well. So I was starting to run out of path, um... And I was a little alarmed because I loved riding and I didn't particularly want to stop riding. For me, I'm hardwired to ride. You know, other people can stop riding quite early and then keep teaching. Well, for me, my riding actually informed my teaching, you know, in a really depthful way. So this holistic approach to um, receiving sensory information and and heightening awareness and watching horse behaviour and so on, all of that stuff was terribly interesting to me and I immersed myself in the technique. I I met the director of one of the schools in Melbourne and uh, had an interview and he was interested in having me on as a personal, as you know, as a student. It's a three-year training course. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was in a lot of pain and it helped. Um, It was more than just a, 
I needed more than just going and having a massage or going sitting in a thermal spa, you know, a spring somewhere or even medication, you know. I needed a whole new way of moving and that's really where it started. So it's it's learning to work with your posture and, and what you're doing defensively and, and all your body language. And, and over time, my chronic lower back pain completely disappeared. And so when I work with riders, they invariably come to me with all sorts of low-grade physical issues and all quite chronic, but they still can ride if in, in a fashion, but they're holding so much muscular tension. So it's about teaching the rider to a, recognize that <laughs> and mm. so they have to be open to that so there's a lot of openness required but often I'm changing things the rider is actually unconscious of I'm working with so many things at once and when you do that highly intuitively and with great respect to the rider and the horse things just fall away things just tensions fall away and often issues that uh, pain issues start to resolve themselves once the rider becomes conscious of their where they are spatially, you know, where how they are sitting on the horse, their balance, their breathing, their thought processes. I have a background in uh, a linguistic and neural uh, linguistic programming as well, so mm-hmm. I'm very interested in how our mind works and how our body follows our thinking. But on a personal level, I had an enormous recovery from chronic uh, pain just by learning to move differently and using myself in a different way. Good. I was so in, yeah, I was so enamoured with the technique. After a very short time, I decided to train. So I devoted three years of my life, and I was still I still had the riding school, and I still in that time I became a level two coach and a coach educator, and I had a lot of balls in the air. But my overall health was uh, stupendous, really. I mean, mm. I had a mm. new injection of life. And it turned my riding, revolutionised my riding ability, which sounds pretty, pretty amazing, but it, it did. It really did. Mm-hmm. And it gave me the shot in the arm that propelled me this next 20 years, and here I am. And as a consequence, I run all sorts of clinics and workshops, and I teach, you know, I've taught um, in Spain, and I've taught in New Zealand and um, around Australia. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. And we're definitely going to have to get you back then to um, to yeah, talk about it sorry. some more. Oh, and, okay. and we will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's. I hope that I hope that made sense. Yeah, because I'm not I, following any notes. No, it it, um, it, just <laughs> it just gets me a bit more curious, actually. So, um, yeah. yeah, we definitely have it's to. It's a get hands you on. Look, yep. I'll read you the blurb. Okay, this okay. is my blurb from one of my promotional things. Yep. Um, as adult riders, we have aches and pains that can be exacerbated when we ride. The Alexander Technique is a gentle, hands-on coaching session. So it is a tactile, hands-on on the person that teaches you, the person, the rider mm-hmm. or the, the individual, to recognize unnecessary muscular tension while they move or ride. So it promotes awareness of how to release unnecessary tension, a useful skill that can prevent further injury in everyday activity, it can strengthen uh, your riding position, your balance, your confidence, obviously, is hardwired to your balance. So really less is more. So I had a, I had a promotional thing a few years mm-hmm. ago, ride smarter, not harder. You know, So I run lots of 
clinics and, and obviously too when I'm coaching individuals they may or may not know I'm a teacher of the technique it doesn't matter they just come I'm a level two coach whatever and mm. I just work with them using as you do as an older coach or whatever or a versatile coach you bring all of your professional skill and life skill to the arena and so that's the other thing you know young people today um, you need to be make sure you're working with coaches that have got a really big experience behind them because, and that they're happy to share it because you're going to get a lot more than your standard sort of lesson. You're going to learn more than you ever thought. You don't even know you're learning it. <laughs> it's, it seeps in, if that makes yeah, sense. Yes, yes, it does. And that yeah. is the value of, that's probably why I mentor and I train other coaches and stuff now because Oh, obviously, I'm as I'm saying, I'm articulating. I'm well aware of the impact you have on others. But when you're receiving information as a young person, you're not you're not aware of that. You just you're just like a bunny. You know, you just you just toodle along, and and good influences just seep into you, and then you you know they stay there forever. They're permanent. It's permanent learning. Well, what about a compliment um, to co- something to complement their learning and their training, like a book? Have you got one that you could recommend? Yeah, there. Is a quite a good book. Sally Tottle uh, is an English woman and wrote a book for AT for Alexander Technique called Body Sense, and I that is quite a good one because it does work with horse riders specifically. But mm-hmm. you can also um, go to your library and, and read about the Alexander Technique. There are many sure. many good books about okay. that, or Google it, or whatever. Um, which makes me think I need to write a book as well. However, um, <laughs> in your spare time. However, there's another. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, next lifetime. Um, there's another. Charles de Confi is. You may have heard of him too, an <laughs> yes. American uh, writer and coach, a remarkable, eloquent writer and speaker. And he has written a number of books. Anything by him is very good. But the athletic development of the dressage horse, I found particularly a very readable book. So. Part philosophy, of course, as well as, you know, big on technique and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, patterned riding and so on. And there are any number of mindfulness books now, you know, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle, and a whole lot of other books, personal development books that are very helpful. Mm -hmm. But hopefully those those couple... I think that's good, yeah. ...might inspire people (laughs) to think outside the square, you know. Yes, yes. Now, Michelle, what are you looking forward to? I'm running a few residential retreats. I run it three or so a year that are three-day or five-day where people come at my property here at Acacia Park mm-hmm. where people come with their horses and we do um, yoga and meditation, suppling exercises for riders. You, obviously, you ride. I teach people to ride as mm-hmm. well. Um, so it's not just a like a resort. But you're using the yoga and the meditation yes, as well as Alexander very, Technique and that's the holistic approach that you Yeah, using. Alexander yep. Technique, um, mm. visualisation practices, performance writing because there are a lot of issues with anxiety and people are, can feel very pressured riding once mm-hmm. they start to compete or develop technique. They can sometimes forget why they rode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like if they be, get bogged down in the technicality of riding and you need to always revisit the reasons why you rode and hopefully it's because you adore horses <laughs> <laughs> and not because you're chasing that, whatever, that gold medal or whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Winning is a byproduct of, you know, living a good life or riding well, you know. So success comes in many forms. Yep, <laughs> yep, for sure, yeah. for sure. All right, so just in a few sentences, can you summarise your philosophy with horses? Um, what I've 
got is a few like snapshot, like one line thing. Sure. You know, does that yeah. rather than yep. you know? I mean, from a <laughs> classical point, yeah, from a classical point of view, like training, just mm. go out every day and adhere to the basics, which means riding your horse forward and straight on your line, in a rhythm, uh, with relaxation. So that's your, your standard sort of mm-hmm. thing you do. Mm-hmm. Every day, stay present. Every day, be grounded. Be adaptable with your horse. Uh, if something, but you can only be adaptable if it comes from a strong skill set base, you know. And then yep. you can try and find another way. But you can't improvise if you don't know what you're doing. That's actually dangerous. Mm-hmm. Horses need you to be consistent. Work on one thing at a time. Be process driven. Honour the process. You know, follow due process, but hold a clear outcome so that you know what you're doing, so that you can reward the horse, even when there's a very small trifactor from the horse, you must reward it because the horse has no idea what you're trying to achieve. So Mm -hmm. you have to be kind and you have to listen to the horse, you have to watch, you have to really be respectful to that horse because you want him to join up with you tomorrow. Remember, every day sets up the ride for the next day. So if you lose your temper or if you, you know, do your block with a horse or, and it does happen, actually increasingly people are stressed, actually young riders, I see that more, not older people, I see that a lot more in younger riders that are under enormous pressure from... um, Enormous pressure to be in a hurry, yeah, to get there. Yes, yes, they don't understand it might take you 5 to 10 to 12 years or 15 years Mm -hmm. to actually be a very, 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 very good general rider and then you can specialise. So it's difficult for a kid at 14 to specialise at 16. You know, it's it's sometimes not... It's not realistic, and yet we seem sometimes, uh, when I say we, I'm collective we, I, I don't, but, you know, there's pressure on coaches too to perform. But I, I must admit I've always ducked and I don't care about that. I just do what's right. So, you know, if I lose the gig, I lose the gig. I don't yeah, care. Yeah. Um, it's never mattered. So yeah. I'm, I'm a bit, I sound a bit arrogant like that, but I'm not. It's actually just because the horse matters more than, than yes. anything. I think you'll find a lot more experienced coaches, you know, that will say yeah. that as well. And it's, um, Good. you know, I think that's just the general feeling that I get from a lot of experienced coaches and always have, yes. you know. I mean, yes. yeah, you know, once they've been in it and realise that really having the horse on your side and on your team is the best oh, way forward. Of yeah. course. Well, you yeah. can't you can't move forward from that's the You can't move forward from that. So that's mm, what I said mm. about every day you ride, you're setting up tomorrow's ride. Yeah, exactly. And so what may not have come today, if you repeat the process the next day and the next day, the horse will actually get it and give you like a light bulb moment. Mm. And sometimes I have like, a, I'd like to do a drawing of where, you know, the horse and the, has a bubble, you know, the bear bubble and the horse is speaking and the horse wants to give the rider the manual how to ride, you know, <laughs> so that the horse can actually get on with the job of carrying the rider. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, so the other thing, don't add pressure to tension. Uh-huh. When you're training, don't don't yeah exactly that. Don't add more pressure to whatever the existing tension in the mm-hmm. situation is, mm-hmm. um, and that applies to young training young riders too. Don't keep pressurising them. You know they're doing their best. Don't keep adding. When in doubt or difficulty, downscale and exercise. Make it so that the horse always feels that he's done a great job, and obviously the person that applies to a young yep. rider too. Or you have to always make sure that you're nurturing that person because. 
it's a person. <laughs> it's not a machine. That's right. That's right. Michelle, how can people contact you? Oh, via my Facebook page, Acacia mm-hmm. Park, or personally on Facebook, yep. Michelle Despacks, or email, which is really good too if you want it a bit more personal, um, mdespacks at hotmail.com. Okay. And those details will be in um, horsechats.com. So horsechats.com slash Michelle Despacks, or just search Michelle on Horsechats. Michelle, great talking to you today. I'm looking forward to getting you back again, but I've really enjoyed your you know, your approach and the way that you use your holistic approach to improve that horse-rider combination. I think the work that you're doing in the industry is great and um, look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Oh, thank you. It's, it's been wonderful. Thanks very much. Sure. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.